1: There's arguments on both sides. Typically, the old adage is you make your most improvement between game one and two, so they've got that, you that uh, on your side. As far as us, we have a full tape, game tape to watch and study and analyze from them this year where they have nothing on us yet this year. So, so who knows? Advantages uh, both ways. and you like that.
2: There's Kyle Whittingham. Getting ready for the opener. Who's got the advantage? We can surprise them. They've had a game to sharpen up. And certainly UCLA, you know, the end of the game looked a lot better than the start of the game. The start of the game was a disaster. So for whatever that means, who knows, but at least we got football Saturday night, PK.
1: Well, we don't know we have that. I mean, it was this time last week. When everything got called off. <laughs> so we can just hope that we've got football.
0: They are scheduled to play tomorrow
1: night. So know, we'll see when we get there if they're on the field before the game. But you're right. It was not only a disaster. It was an unmitigated. Game. Ooh. you got to have that in there. And you can only hope that they play. I mean, I can't guarantee you. And here we are. Uh, a little 37 hours. hours. Yeah. Yeah. Keep, keep fingers crossed and all those things you're supposed to do and I and mean, I would think that they they would know uh, before getting on the plane because that's what happened with Arizona. So you have a good idea that they're going to get on the plane today. I don't think they're going to get on the plane and then <laughs> turn around and come home. Uh, but keep the fingers crossed and hope it gets to play, man. It's looking tough out there in some ways, and other ways it's looking great.
2: The U pregame show will start at 7.30 tomorrow here on The Zone. The game's scheduled to kick off at 8.30 on Fox, and it is a pretty sweet setup for the Pac-12 that struggled for exposure. Fox has four games tomorrow, and the last three are all Pac-12 games. All right. They got the uh, USC game, the Oregon game, and then Utah and UCLA. Yeah, USC's playing Arizona, and Oregon's playing Washington State, so. Plenty of Pac-12 football for you tomorrow. DJ and PK.
0: Hashtag Utah
2: State. The big thing for me is just one week at a time. So uh, I I can't see next week. Uh, The only thing that matters to me is today and making sure we win today as a football
1: team. So that's coaches and players alike. And so I'm taking it one day at a time, one week at a time. And the emphasis this week is Fresno State. Uh, And when that game is over, we'll move on to Wyoming.
2: That's Frank Miley right there. He's the interim coach at Utah State with Gary Anderson out. The Aggies are 0-3. They haven't really competed in any of these games for more than a few minutes. They just start getting blown off the field early. Uh, Fresno State is 2-1, and, and Fresno State comes into this game a 10-point favorite PK. Tell me what? we're gonna tell me that with a new coach and a different energy, that at least we're gonna have a game going to the fourth quarter. I can't. Dang it.
1: I wish I could. I want to.
2: No guarantees, though.
1: Oh, I have to see something. I mean, I've seen nothing. It's been a mitigated disaster.
2: <laughs> what has been the mitigation?
1: I don't, I don't know. I don't even know what that means. I think it's but unmitigated. I, I think, I think Frank, you know, I. I it, it, it's very refreshing because I'd never heard a coach say what he just said. <laughs> one game at a time.
2: <laughs> look down at the manual. Oh, there it is, 36B. I'm going with that one. You know, Coach, speak for dummies.
1: You can, it can get away from you, man. And especially a place like Utah State where it got away from them for so long. And then they got it and had it, stayed with it. And now it's gotten away. Now, is it a temporary getaway? Well, we all hope so. But do we know that for sure? No, I don't. So you just, this is a perilous time for the Aggies. So changing coaches. Is It's the obvious thing to do, but what does it mean? And I don't know. that. I hope the Frank, they go undefeated and he gets the job. That'd be great. He's a local guy, and you like to see local guys get an opportunity. He's obviously a minority. You like to see that. Uh, I don't know if it'll happen, but I would be nervous that it's like, uh-oh, especially Utah State, because it's not that long ago, they were really, really down.
2: Yeah, there was a good thirty to thirty-five year run where they were they were mostly down, uh, and a big year was uh, six and five or seven and five. That was That's that a was bad run. Not that a good was run. that was the peak. Yeah, it was thirty-five years. It just yeah. Now the last decade's been pretty good. Now within the last decade, they still had bad seasons without getting away. Right. Um, they had a three and nine, and now you know they bounced back from that, and two years later they were an eleven win team, and Matt Wells was getting a getting the job at Texas Tech off that. All right, kickoffs at 12.30. Fox Sports 2, Scotty G will have the pregame show at noon. Kickoff at 12.30 right here on the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK.
0: Hashtag college football. Williams coming in and gets it Williams blocks it and gets the touchdown Boise State decides to go with Avery Williams up front he's already scored on a kick return he scores on a blocked punt he blocked it and he got it in the end zone just inside the left hash and the kick is blocked in the middle it's picked up at the 10 yard line by Canijo to the 20 to the 30 Boise State could have a second special teams touchdown Canijo is going down the sidelines Canijo will score redemption
2: So we can sit here and analyze X's and O's forever, PK. You can try to predict what's going to happen in games. Uh, Big picture, Boise State would blow out Colorado State. Well, you get that right. How it would happen? Blocking two punts and a field goal and returning all three for touchdowns in the first half. I think absolutely nobody had that one. Yeah, that's how the Broncos blew out CSU. They went 52-21.
1: Yeah, but I wonder if they really needed that to blow, and they got that. It's great, but... I think Boise State was back on it a little bit. Obviously, Bachmeyer was playing, uh, so it was a disgrace for CSU's special teams. But I think Boise reasserted itself and would have reasserted itself even more, and obviously that made a huge difference and swung the game. But I still think Boise State is a very quality football program.
2: And they were missing 14 guys and the fact that you could be down three nose tackles and your defense only gave up 21 points, and some of those are when the game was well out of hand right, anyway. Right, so right, yeah. it didn't really matter. So uh, it was a strong performance by them. They improved to 3-1, and one, and obviously the better they are, then the better the BYU win looks. So. We'll be following them the rest of the year.
1: Yeah, I think it's important for the Cougars to have Boise State do well. I don't understand how one team can have one guy positive and they can't play, and another team could have more than a dozen, and they just move them to the side and they play.
2: Totally different ways of handling it at Boise State and Cal. And you could throw in 20 other other schools around the country, right? Right, exactly, yes. Or pick a number, 30, 15, whatever you want. Other big games this weekend? Uh, Indiana, how long will the Cinderella run last? The Hoosiers, undefeated, ranked 10th in the country. Uh, how many times has that happened in our lifetime, PK? <laughs> I'm Well, slower. I mean, when you had Bobby Wilkerson at the time, he was a
1: really good player. Bobby Wilkerson? Yeah. Who is Bobby Wilkerson?
2: Played for the Hoosiers on that unde- undefeated team. How many times I got to tell you? Michigan State and Indiana, ABC at 10 a.m. if you want to check that out. Is uh, is Notre Dame going to follow up the big win with another big win? Boston College, ABC uh, at 1.30. You can check that game out. I will. Northwestern undefeated. They're playing uh, Purdue at 5.30. That's on the Big Ten Network, though, so that's going to be a hard one to find. I got it. You got it? Yeah, Sweet. I got it. You're rolling. Uh, Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby told SiriusXM, maybe you were listening, PK, now that you got the satellite radio, uh, that there have been discussions about delaying the playoff and the New Year's Six Bowls because of COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, we spent some time talking about that. We have not come into any closure on it, but there is some latitude to postpone it if the need should arise. Same is true with some of the New Year's Six games. I don't know if I see us playing a championship game in February, but you just never know. These are unusual times, and things that might otherwise be acceptable have to be considered in this kind of circumstance. Excellent. I was just complaining about this yesterday.
1: Well, go ahead and play it in February, man. We'll we have a couple of weeks. This thing's supposed to be gone. I just heard that for months. Better be gone, man. Come
2: on. Where are you, this is not going to be gone in February.
1: <laughs> going to get a hand on We trust science. Okay. Well, all I know is what I heard on the television these last several months.
2: Nah, well. Not going to be gone in February. That'd be great. I would well, love We'll to be have it on.
1: under control, right? Mm. We're going to have lockdowns. What are you talking about, brother? Don't run from it now.
2: Uh, if we're <laughs> going to have lockdowns, and I don't know that we are, we're not having them until January 20th. So February would still, uh, still be a couple weeks.
1: I stand by my statement.
2: There are dates open the last two Saturdays in January. Would work. That is The NFL playoffs are off of Saturday by then. So if they're looking for a place to delay it to, that'd be a good place. DJ and PK.
0: Hashtag NFL.
2: Rivers takes a low snap. Looking, looking to the fire left side. Naeem Hines has a first down, looking for the pylon. And he's in. Touchdown. Naeem Hines. A 13 yard
0: pass. Rivers to Hines. Touchdown. I N D Y.
2: Trevor Daniel, the last time he was on the field, shanked one. It was only a 17-yard punt. Should get good field position out of this one. They block it! The Colts block
0: it! It's picked up by the Colts, and that's T.J. Carey! Special teams! How about ya? Touchdown! I-N-D-Y. A blocked punt for a touchdown!
2: Man, blocked punts on a Thursday night. They were everywhere. The Colts get one, and they beat the Titans 34 to 17 and for those of you who care about career stats, which isn't UPK, but nonetheless, Phillip Rivers passes Dan Marino for fifth time on the all-time passing yards list in the win. And they got the upper hand in the division race now. they got the same record, but they got the tiebreaker head to head. They got a second game coming up later this year. Yeah, that was a big win for the Colts. That was a big win. Absolutely. Uh, former BYU star Kyle Van Noy has been placed on the reserve COVID-19 list by the Dolphins. Unknown if he tested positive or if it's contract contact tracing. Uh, a couple other teammates shelved as well, and so it's often not clear exactly why. Games to watch this weekend: NFC West, the division race hanging in the balance. Seahawks and Rams. Who you got, PK? You're going to stay see, with Seattle, at your Super Bowl pick. But well, they could lose this game and win the Super Bowl, so that's, that's not yeah, all at stake. I don't stake. think they'll lose this game, though. Defense is going to make enough plays. You can count on the offense. i have to see. I just don't believe in the Rams. Seahawks 6-2. and two. The Cardinals and the Rams are both 5-3. and three. Cardinals uh, have a big game of their own. They are playing the Buffalo Bills. And don't look now, but the Buffalo Bills are... third-best record in the AFC behind the undefeated Steelers and the defending champs, the once-beaten Chiefs.
1: I never understood that phrase. It's because it's always used at a time where you actually want to look because it's used as a positive. Don't look now. Well, I want to see this game because I want to (laughs) see the Bills to see how good they are. So every time you hear that don't look now, it's always followed by something good, which then means you should be looking. That never made any sense to me.
2: Steelers have made it halfway through the schedule, 8 oh. How long can this run continue? They got the Bengals this week. you you think they'd win that. They got they got a couple big games looming out there. They have to play the aforementioned Bills. Don't look now. Uh, and they got a rematch with uh, the Ravens. So they got a few big games out there.
1: Well, I was talking to Nick Bonacani the other day, you he know, and he wants them to lose because they want to be the only
2: undefeated uh, team. I see what you did there. The 72 Dolphins. There it is. Jimmy Kick. Former Wyoming Cowboy? <laughs> yes. Running back. Well done. Sunday night football. The Ravens and the Patriots. Sounds good, but the Patriots 3-5. and five. And it's time to get back in the playoff race. I just think watching the Patriots in the first half of the season, no one really expects that. I'd agree, but Sunday night football it's what we do. Yep. DJ and PK. Hashtag
0: NBA. NBA.
2: So the Golden State Warriors have a plan and they have presented it to some state and local officials. They want to open the Chase Center, their expensive new arena in San Francisco, and they want to have 50% capacity for the upcoming NBA season. They think it can be a model for all sports franchises and and, and even wider, just entertainment venues. Uh, Concerts, obviously, would be copying this, and if the Warriors' plan goes as they want. They said the Warriors are prepared to spend upwards of $30 million to test every fan, every Warrior employee, and player with the most accurate form of COVID-19 testing for each home game on the day they come to the Chase Center. Game changer, thirty million. Of course, you know they've got like they've got the million dollar suites there. So thirty million, yeah, it's an investment. But when you look at the money they're making off home games, uh, you get why they're willing to make that kind of investment.
1: So uh, what is that over like thirty some home games? Thirty six
2: uh, games, right? Because 72, 72 is out of yeah, it was this the, coming season. Thirty six home games. So that's a thirty million aggregate total over those thirty six games. Yeah, it says spending upward of thirty million. I, I guess it's hard to know what a test is going to cost in right. April or May. You know, the cost may come down as they get produced in bulk. So
1: April I, or May? And we're still not done with it?
2: We're still testing in April <laughs> or May. Yeah. Could be testing for a long time. Could be testing even after a vaccine. I don't know how this is going to work. This is my first pandemic, PK. I don't know how this is going to work.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I have never been tested. I don't, I don't know how any of it works. I can't... Uh... I can't tell you about any of it. I've never, I've not been tested.
2: Well, while the Warriors lay out their plans for what their season might look like going forward, Toronto Raptors are doing the same thing. Tampa, Florida is an option for the Raptors make it their home market for the next season if they're unable to play in Canada due to travel restrictions due to COVID-19.
1: Sounds like a decent location.
2: Winter in Tampa. Gonna yeah. I was to say. I see what they're thinking. January in Tampa versus <laughs> January in Toronto. <laughs> right there's a you, you, there's an arena. I don't know how much they're, uh, you know, they're going to be able to do in terms of fans and all that, but I assume they're looking at the arena where the NHL plays, right, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. So
1: I thought we were going to be talking about draft, not COVID. When you said,
2: what NBA. do you know about the draft? We got David Locke on later today to talk about the draft. He's going to be here at eight o'clock.
1: What do I know? Yeah. He's, what do the NBA guys know? <laughs> I'm not You're the right. one who drafted Kwame Brown, Adam Morrison, <laughs> on and on and on.
2: List them. Go. <laughs> Greatest hits. I, Curtis well, Borchardt. a million of
1: them every year. Michael, Curtis Borchardt.
2: Michael Candy. Come on. Michael it goes on Olo-Candy, and on. Man.
1: So, I mean, they don't even know. How should I know? <laughs> well, the Warriors have the second pick. That's huge. What do they do? There's lots of intrigue out there. That's what I want to talk about I mean, rather than COVID. DJ and PK.
0: Hashtag Major League Baseball.
2: The MVPs were awarded Jose Abreu in the American League and in the National League, Freddie Freeman. The Braves' first baseman and the White Sox' first baseman. I, I, well, you put your hitters at first base, so I guess it's not surprising, right?
1: No, those guys had excellent two months. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and so, to me, it was obvious choices.
2: There was a time when you thought the Padres might be taking home the MVP. Well, they ended up uh, finishing third and fourth in the ballot. Well, uh, we'll uh, Tatis really cooled off, but at the time that he cooled off, Machado got hot. Right. (laughs) Which is why it was Machado third and Tatis fourth.
1: Yes. And then, of course, you had Mookie Betts, who's just a great all-around player. But Freeman had the best season in the National League. I don't think there was any question on that. And he's a guy who had covid and actually had it. It wasn't the, the asymptomatic stuff, from what I understand. And what he said, actually, is what he said. and His wife said that uh, he was knocked on his back for
2: a while. And he came back to hit 341 with 13 yeah. homers, 53 RBIs. If you play that out over the, the course of a season, the home run numbers, if you're able to sustain it, that'd be about 40 homers. Uh, but then you look at the ribbies, he'd probably be around 140. That'd be a huge number. It would be, yeah. The 40 in,
1: in real baseball would be a huge number, too. In steroid baseball, it was uh, a slump.
2: But uh, <laughs> but if you go back to, like, the 80s or pre-steroids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, nor- the normal
1: season, if you hit 40 home runs, you were a stud. Yep. You know, the 60 and all that got out of hand, obviously, and we know why. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, he was good in the postseason.
2: He's, he's a very, very, very nice player. All right, let's get to it. The time to become a legend. The time to embark on a quest for that elusive. <laughs> the Masters, the first round, still in progress right now. It's uh, weather delayed, and then they can't play as late in the day and get back on track because the sun's going down earlier this time of year. Drop. But nonetheless, what? Yak, what is that? Beat. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> oh, it's
0: a 2020 Masters! Pop, 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 pop!
2: Weirdest, man. <laughs>
0: Jim Dogwoods, Azalea pimento, and cheese? Get Don't get your wig split. You think this is a game?
3: This We're- year's Masters, it's, it's it's different. You know, we, we've never played it in, in, in the fall. You know, this is... Uh... All
2: right, Weirdest Masters update ever for the Weirdest Masters ever. Or greatest. Or greatest. It could be both at the same time. Uh, Paul Casey... Dylan Fratelli, your leaders right now. The first round is not over yet; they are still going. Uh, but those two guys are seven under. Uh, Casey in the clubhouse with a 65. Fratelli uh, still has a couple of holes to play here to, to wrap up his round. Justin Thomas at six under. Who took Justin Thomas in the first round? PK. Me 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 me. You did. <laughs> Xander Shoffley in the group at uh, five under. Uh, along with Dustin Johnson. And uh Bob took Shoffley and I took uh DJ. So there's three of our first four picks in our draft. The the, uh, the top pick Brooks Kepke didn't didn't get off to the best start in the tournament, but long way to go. Tiger had a terrible first 9 holes and then won, right? Didn't he shoot a 40? Uh you're talking last year? Uh no, when he won his first Masters, I think.
1: Oh, in uh 97? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he went like, berserk. Yesterday, he had his best first round ever. I was watching a good portion of it, man. He looked really good. That was 65. Is that what he had? 68. Four under 68. 400,
2: look, 468.
1: Yeah, it looked great. And so, uh, Justin Thomas looked good. Uh, but he had to stop. I wonder if that's an advantage, disadvantage. Because, I mean, Justin Thomas came out. was on fire, man. Birdies first three. And I think it went par. Another birdie. Uh, and then what did he play, 10, 11 holes and had to stop because uh, obviously they run out of the, uh, daylight with the uh, time change now, and I wonder if that's a factor, but you got to do it because they had the weather delay yesterday. Paul Casey, i got a little personal story. A friend of mine uh, last year, uh, well, earlier this year actually, uh, was uh, in Phoenix, Paul Casey's a Sun devil, he's an uh, Englishman, But uh, my buddy is a uh, friend of the athletic director at Arizona State. And so they took over uh, Papago, which was a a municipal park. And now it's the Sun Devil home course. And Phil Mickelson dumped millions into it to spruce it up. But uh, he got to play a little golf with Paul Casey last January. Uh, Because he was there that weekend that my buddy was there. So he's a, a fan of Paul Casey's. And the same person, like I told you a while back, he was at the Kapalua tournament, and he got a fist bump from Rory McIlroy. How about that?
2: Brushes with greatness.
1: <laughs> yeah, I told you that it was, it was probably two years ago, and I'm sitting at home watching it, and he's there in Maui. And he's—he tells me, he texts me. I just got fist bumped by Roy. He saw me, and I'm just standing there in the gallery, and there's not very many people. And he sticks out his fist, so I stick out mine, <laughs> and we fist bumped. All right, we had a moment. <laughs> and then he—he he says, "Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go uh, follow Dustin Johnson now. I got to figure out where he is." And so then I'm texting him where to go, to go find Dustin Johnson, because I'm sitting at home. In Sandy, watching <laughs> like, tournament, like, giving him directions on where to go because they're following. You. Obviously, you can follow it easier on television. Plus, I'd been at the course because I'd played it a couple of times when Utes and Cougars were in the Maui Invitational. So I've, I've been there. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> the uh, communication abilities in the world we live in. I'm sitting in Sandy, texting him directions on how to get to the hole where he's at. It's kind of funny.
2: You're like his spotter. Yeah. In a so weird was. way, that's kind of like you're the Houston Astros of golf fans right there. Totally above board, but yeah. Yeah. You weren't banging on a on a trash can, lead. You were texting. All right, there you go. That is what is trending. There is a lot going on. What a weekend. It's brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at Shamrock Plumbing. 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, Raiders and Broncos this weekend, and we will talk with Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. We'll talk with him about the Utes opener at the UCLA, and we will do that next. David Locke coming up in the 8 o'clock hour and a Masters update with Bob Casper from Real Golf Radio. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
0: Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake
2: Scott. Radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. I want to ask you your reaction to the deal reached between the players and the owners. It's like not something the media,
0: for
1: whatever reason, does, kind of giving the players union credit on this. But I really do think Michelle Roberts deserves an enormous amount of credit. I mean, one, she got the escrow to 10% and instead of some mammoth number so that her players are all protected and the owner's Take the hit, which is probably how it should be when franchises are selling for
0: $1.6 billion. I thought the players probably got the better end, but the bottom line is that everyone's playing December 22nd, and that's what the league needed more than anything else. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
2: Football Fridays here on the Zone Sports Network and coverage of the Las Vegas Raiders game against the Denver Broncos on Sunday is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raiders debit card. Same great features and benefits, now with a silver and black. Learn more at americafirst.com slash Raiders. Time to bring in Lincoln Kennedy. You hear him on Raider Radio Broadcast. He's also a Pac-12 Networks analyst. Lincoln, this week we get to have a conversation with you the way we actually envisioned it. <laughs> There'll be both college and pro football in this segment, that? and we're liking it.
3: Yeah, I love it too. I love it too. Good to be with you guys. Happy holidays to you and your families, all your listeners. That's as Awesome.
2: Yeah, we are getting there, right? It is mid-November, yeah. and Thanksgiving's right around the corner. So, thank goodness the Utah. Probably, apparently, about to play their season opener against UCLA. <laughs> so who would you rather be? Would you rather be the team that's playing its second game that had a miserable start to their opener, fell behind 35-7, to or then played pretty well at the end of the game and, and got back, ended up losing 48-42? So UCLA and all the clichés about improving in the second game, or would you rather be the Utes? There's no film. The Utes can prepare for UCLA a little bit, and Kyle Whittingham has said, hey, I may have to play some scout team guys here. We're getting them ready. We don't know exactly who's going to be available for this game. On on Monday when he did his uh, weekly media thing, you know, I'm not going to tell you. And I, if I would, I still couldn't, you know, because <laughs> you didn't know. Uh, it, it, it's it's a 2020 game, I guess. What else can you say?
3: Yeah, and, and the world of clandestine clandestine, the fact that you've got people who are trying to keep as many secrets as possible before the big, the big game. And in an ordinary situation, that would be fitting. But in this day and age, the problem is you just don't know how guys are going to play in game speed. You know, I've, I've told many people on, on any level, it doesn't matter how hard or how well you practice. It's about when the game goes on. How they fit in that situation, because now they're not seeing a, somewhat a familiar face, they're seeing someone they haven 't played against, and so the natural um, mentality that goes into that is that you want to elevate your your, your physical um, um, output, if you will, uh, to beat that person that's across from you, um, and that's hard to duplicate. So you don't know. So to answer your question, it, it, there's a, you, you pick your poison. It's six hand it's six in one hand and half a dozen in the other. It doesn't it doesn't matter uh, what you're going to do because the fact is you still have to go out and play, and you don't know what you're going to get until the game is over. And then you look at the film and say, oh, okay, well we know we have in this person or this group or or that guy or that guy.
1: So Lincoln, you live down in the Phoenix area. I grew up there, went to Arizona State. I got a bone to pick with Herm Edwards, and it's a oh. Philosophy thing that I want to run past you. It'll take a second to explain it. He's coached there uh, twenty-seven games. Take out the two games that they've played against the one double A's, and so you got twenty-five. Then eighteen of those twenty-five have been one scores uh, either way, and so they go up on SC, uh, and then we know what happened. and And I think that his philosophy is. Well, just keep the game close. You know, they ran 18 straight plays in the fourth quarter, and they had uh, not the last possession but the next to last. The whole goal was to make SC use their timeouts, which they did. They used their timeouts. My point is the philosophy of keeping things close Instead of stepping on the gas, so to speak, they had an opportunity, get a couple of first downs, and SC can have all the timeouts in the world that they want, but they're not going to win the game. Right. And it seems like he gets way cautious. Most of his games are close, but here he is in his third year, and he's fifteen and twelve overall. And two of those wins have become I've come against lower levels, so he's basically thirteen and twelve. That's just not good enough, man. In my mind, at some point, you got to play to win rather than play to have the game be close.
3: I understand that. And here's what I would say to you: You know, in talking with Herman Edwards, his biggest issue is that one: How can he get guys into Arizona State? And two, how can he stay? How can they get him to stay? Because you have a lot of colleges around the country that are just proposing or professing that top recruits, especially blue chippers come, coming out of Arizona, that we'll have you in the league or we'll have you in another place. And he's, you know, he's, he's promoting a, or promising a degree for these players. I say that to say this: there's been a huge turnover every year that he's been at ASU, as far as bodies. It's it's, it's hard to it's hard to build a team of continuity, and you guys know how, how hard it is with football. If, if you've got guys that are leaving every year or you've got guys that are transfer-porting every year because they're not playing. Um, I, 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 what I liked out of Arizona State against SC is the fact that you have an extremely young team. You're playing a lot of really young guys and first-timers. And they showed a sense of resiliency, a sense of fight that you can build on as the season progresses. Because, look, we, we don't know if these guys are going to test positive. We don't know if these guys are going to be there for injury, whatever have you. It, it is it's it's so much unknown, more so in 2020 than it has been in every other year. So I understand your point. There's a very conservative factor of that, that, that Herm Edwards and his staff is playing, especially on offense, because he'd much rather be in the conversation for the game than be blown out. I get it, um, and I understand your your, your frustration. But at this particular point, with such a young team, I just don't know if there's another way to go. If you put the, put your foot on the gas and they make mistakes and you get blown out by 14 or 21 or whatever, you make mistakes and and you lose a game where you're not even in it in the end. Um, it doesn't look well. Of course, it doesn't look well if you're you got a close game and you know or a team comes back with two touchdowns in the final two minutes either. But right. you know you take your poison.
2: Lincoln Lincoln Kennedy joined us here on ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone. So. On the flip side of that, on the other sideline, you got USC. That was a terrible start. They Perfect. found a way to win the game at the end, so you gotta give them credit for that. But every every champ needs a foil, right? right. The the Globetrotters needed their Washington Generals and Perfect. whatever, right? Manning and Brady needed each other. Oregon needs USC to be good. Or oh, they need Utah to be good. They need right. somebody. Is is USC that quality of team? Were they lucky to win? Was it a nine a.m. start that threw them off? And they are talented and resilient. And you saw that at the end. What do you make of them?
3: No, but it's heritage. Look, we need somebody in the Pac-12 to be good and stand out. Oregon's schedule for this seven-game, whatever the heck it is, you know, thing is not very strong. If you go down look at their schedule, it's not strong at all. And it's not strong to get national attention. So we need SC to be good. We need somebody to, be, to, to stand out, at least with reputation, because the fact is, is that it's going to come down to the possibility of an undefeated Pac-12 team going through the Pac-12 championship. It has to be someone who's, who seems for a national standard to be reputable. So we need, we need SC, we need Utah to be viable. To that point, all the way to the end, whether it's Oregon or one of the other teams from the South, we need somebody to be viable and to be in that that position for conversation. Because other than that, we don't have a leg, a leg to stand on to get in the playoff.
1: So I'm watching the Raiders on Sunday, and uh-huh. you you could speak to this specifically as a lineman. What do you think when you see your quarterback do the Lambeau leap, but it's actually yeah. at the ten yard line?
3: Oh, can you say your heartfelt? <laughs> that was crazy watching Carr do that when I was calling the game and he went up in the air I I pushed back from my chair from the desk I was like what is he doing what are you doing (laughs) Um, it's a a frightening moment but I will commend Derek Carr for at least using his legs I think he got um, throughout the season he's ran for over 100 yards which is a milestone to me um, because this is a guy who's athletic but he just chose not to use his legs look the the Raiders in a, are in a very you know interesting position, if you will, five and three, and you saw another you know pretty good team like the the Colts play the Titans and and just you know beat up on them last night. I don't know where to put them. I in a sense as as a team, offensively I think they can compete with anyone. Offensively I think they've got the firepower um, on uh, you know as far as receivers and quarterback and you know Derek Carr is only throwing two two interceptions this year, but. Their offensive line leaves a lot to be in question. I don't know what to make of Trent Brown's situation. This man is collecting $1.2 million every single week, and he's only played one game in three plays. Go figure. And it pains me because he's playing right tackle. This is the position that I played. Um, I don't know what to make of him. Sam Young, his backup, cannot stop a bull rush. There were several plays in that Charger game, including a sack and fumble where Derek Carr got hit because the guy over Sam Young bull rushed him and got his way to the quarterback. I don't know what to make of that because they're low on offensive linemen. Colt Miller's probably not going to play again this week. Um, And they're going up against Denver, who has shown at times they have the ability to rush a passer. Obviously, no Von Miller, but you've got Chubb and you've got other people accordingly. So, you know, back to your question about Derek Carr and this this Raiders team, Um, they've got to get through this gauntlet. There are people that are looking down their nose saying, oh, Denver stinks, we'll be able to beat them. This is a classic trap game when it comes to the NFL because I've told everyone who's listened to me, hey, you know those guys on the other side of the ball? They get paid too. And they're pretty damn good, too. <laughs> they're the top 1% of the, of the things, so it's not like it's going to be a gimme or easy game. Um, the Raiders have got to find a way to sort through this because it's really, really um, clustered where they are in the playoff picture. Um, and they can't afford to drop any games that they should, quote-unquote, should win.
2: So you don't have a big sample size, but what do you think of uh, Drew Locke? How good is he?
3: Drew Locke has regressed this year because people have gotten to know that he struggles with zone coverages. So you can play complex zone coverages like clouds, skies, and other things where you're rolling people into different areas that makes him hesitant. The, the, the true um, sort of gauge when you watch a young quarterback, whether he has it or he doesn't, look how many times he hitches the ball or taps the ball with his hand trying to find it. That usually leads to confidence because most offenses in the National Football League want you to get rid of the ball under three seconds. That means you're going off of a pre-snap read, you're going off a of play design, you know where to go when the defense promotes itself and snaps the ball. When you watch Drew, he's hesitant at times, he's reluctant at times, because especially in zone coverages, he's not sure if that window is actually what it seems to be, and if he can get the ball there. Um, so I say that to say this, that... This is a team that obviously wants to take chances down the field. They want to open up the offense. They, you know, surround them with receivers when they're healthy. Um, issues, uh, injuries have been a big issue, especially in the offensive line for, uh, for the Broncos. But still, they're, they're a dangerous team nonetheless. And, you know, whatever is that four-and-a-half or five-point uh, um, uh, sort of um, favorable for the Raiders doesn't, doesn't sit well with me because I think the Raiders need to take care of business early to put this team away.
1: How about Justin Herbert, man? I'm in love with this kid.
3: How about that, yeah? <laughs> yeah, you know what? He's he's really found a home, and, and the, the the Chargers have lucked out because they found their franchise quarterback. You know, a lot of people don't know this about Justin Herbert, but covering him at Oregon, you know, the kid had a 4.08 GPA in biology. Wow. Who does that?
0: <laughs> Not me.
3: <laughs> Who does that? He's a, He's an incredibly talented and smart kid. The fact is, is that the Chargers are still trying to figure out how they can do it. Because look, he, you know, last week and weeks before, they ran a lot of RPO action, like an Oregon option stuff, like that. But he's been taking some hits, and he's the type of guy who wants to keep the ball rather than pitch it. So now you're in a difficult position, which many offensive coordinators find themselves in with guys coming out of college. Do you allow your quarterback to keep the ball? take the hits or try to teach him how to slide, get out of bounds, use the rules, or you know, and run the, run the gauntlet of if he's going to get hurt uh, significantly? Or do you totally try to get him out of the realm of, uh, of comfortability? When it comes to Herbert, because Herbert had two significant offensive coordinators while he was at Oregon, you know, the sky's the limit. I mean, you really can do what you want to do. But I tell you what, I don't like the way Anthony Lynn and his staff manage games. Um, and it was it was never more apparent than this past game. Even though they had a chance to win it at home, they didn't leave any time on the clock because they mismanaged games. Um, they could have had a couple more plays. Um, it's very hard for uh, a team to stop another team two plays in a row. But what would imagine if you had three or four or what have you, yeah, but they ran out of time.
2: I think if I were a coach in the NFL, I would show my running quarterback who took hits video of Robert Griffin III getting flipped upside down and being the only guy I've ever seen. I've seen a lot of guys tear ACLs playing football. I've never seen one tear them while their head was below their foot yeah. by about five feet.
3: Right, right. You know, no It's
2: like – these guys, these eleven guys on the other side of the ball, are looking to destroy you. <laughs> so you can run. Conversely,
3: conversely, you look at the way Russell Wilson has sort of emerged and grown. You know, he was running his first year, but if you try to, if you, if, you, if you take a look at the film between the first year and the second year, now all of a sudden Russell Wilson is sliding. He's getting mm-hmm. out of bounds. You know, I would teach a quarterback, no matter who, whether he's a running quarterback or not. The rules in the National Football League are to protect you. They're there to protect you. The reason why you can roll out of the pocket and get out of sort of the, the boundary where you can throw it out of bounds or throw it in the ground if it's a screen is to protect you. We're trying to save hits on you. The slide rule, all that stuff is to protect you. So you should use that to your advantage. I'm not so much. I know that you want to win, and this is what I try to tell Derek. I, I understand that you want to try to get that touching you want to put it over top, but your preservation is at the utmost importance. So I need you to have that in your mind. When I'm running and it's open field, I don't care if I see the end zone of play dirt. If there's a linebacker or a safety that's coming into my view, slide. Get down. I don't need you to go airborne. Too many things can happen. You can, get, you can come down wrong on a shoulder or a wrist or whatever, put you out of the game. I want you to slide. Protect yourself as much as possible.
2: Lincoln, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, and we will hear you on the Raider Bronco game Sunday afternoon, two o'clock Mountain Time, right here on the Zone Sports Network and oh, wherever pleasure. else Hi, the radio, the Raider Radio Network goes. Are you guys, are you guys on TV, just or on TV on radio, just all over the place?
3: Yeah, yeah. So you know what's what's hard for me, guys, is that um, until this year, I, I especially uh, away games um, because we've traveled the team. I have to do call games from a TV. It's the hardest thing in the world because I'm frustrated with the cameraman. I got mm. I got to follow his view, and and it's not like when I'm in there in person because I'm big on body language. The way you walk on and off the field, the way you get down in your stance, the way you play when you got a good play, when you got a bad play. I, I follow that to create my opinions. I've got to I've got to rely on a cameraman from CBS or Fox to show me what my view is, and pain in the ass.
2: <laughs> <laughs> don't sugarcoat it to us Lincoln give it yeah. to us straight up we can handle it
3: exactly I appreciate it it's good <laughs> Thank, thanks Jack Lincoln All right, see you All next right. week
2: Lincoln Kennedy Raider Radio analyst, Pac-12 Network Analyst and he joins us Every Friday right here on 975 and 1280 in the zone. David Locks coming up in 15 minutes to talk Jazz Draft and Jazz Free Agency. We talked to him on Fridays, and a week from today, it will uh, the NBA will look different a week from today. Who knows what trades are waiting out there on draft day? There are always some. So we got a lot of ground to cover with him coming up at 8 o'clock. Stay with us.
0: Now let's get this party started. Uh-huh. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network.
3: My opinion is BYU has not been as friendly to Kalani as they need to be or should have been. He was going into a lame duck year before they extended him to 2023. This would have been his lame duck season and yeah. they extended him midway through last season. That's pushing it too close to the edge. If he goes undefeated and has a top 15 pick, BYU better show him some confidence and extend him out another yeah. two years and be like, hey, we just want to show you. We really screwed up on the first lack of extension better show him now before the offers come in. Because if you don't, I like that university, but if I'm coaching there and I've got a Power 5 team that comes swooping in and they're like, here's 3.2, and here's a $2.5 million yeah. increase on your coaching pool. My name's on that contract.
0: Hanson Scotting Scotty weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network.
2: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Syringa Networks is home to complete business, telecom, and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. All right, PK, (laughs) we got David Locke coming up, and we'll talk uh, NBA draft with him, NBA free agency with him, and that will ultimately lead to questions about trades. There's always uh, the sign-and-trade possibilities, certain draft day trades and all that. But the news breaking here in the last, uh, I don't know what it is, less than 24 hours, certainly since our show yesterday, that Mike Conley is going to uh, pick up that option for the final year of his deal, $34.5 million. Now, you're never really going to walk away from $34.5 million. But there was the opportunity there maybe to negotiate something that was two or three years that would give him a little more money over a few more years but maybe help the Jazz smooth that big number out. But that's not how it's going to work out. Your immediate reaction when you hear that uh, he's not exercising his early termination option, he'll play next year for $34.5 million and then be a free agent next summer.
1: Well, I care about it most from the Jazz perspective, right? Because we're going to be here hopefully talking about the Jazz long after Mike Conley is done. So my first... Uh, point of view is what benefits the jazz rather than what benefits the individual because Mike Conley has made an incredible amount of money. So good for him. I don't begrudge these guys making the money they make. Somebody's going to pay it to you. Who in the world is going to say no, right? And, and if you're good at basketball, way, way to go. More power to you. From the jazz perspective, and my thought was it's the right thing to do. Have as much flexibility as, as you possibly can. And Conley, I don't know him at all, so I'm saying this from a distance, but he's going to make an enormous amount of money this year. He seems like a reputable man, decent man, and so he'll want to play and play well. Not for just himself going into a free agency year, but because, you know, last year was an up and down season for him. And when it was up, the team was pretty good. So he's going to want to prove himself. He's going to want to prove to the team and everybody else. I mean, he's really good. So then you have that flexibility. The point I'm making here next season uh I don't know if he's going to be with a young family, want to be somebody who wants to move around all over the place. So the point being that if he has a good season and the Jazz want him, he'll probably want to stay as long as they offer him the competitive salary because most guys like it here. You know, Hayward didn't – it's not like he didn't like it. He had stars in his eyes, and it turned out it backfired. He got his money, but his – you know, he – hasn't been near the player now some of that might have been the injury and and just the complexion of the team in boston but the point is that guys like it here so if conley comes back and plays well he probably want to stay and maybe they could re re-sign him to a a two-year deal whatever it might be if he doesn't play well and he's hampered by injuries whatever the reason is hopefully that's not the case well then you've got the flexibility so from the jazz perspective i'd like that Conley picked up his option. He's going to be here next year. There's no financial commitment beyond next year. See where you're, at, where you're at, where you are at, and then obviously because you've got to pay a ton of cash to Donovan Mitchell coming up.
2: Well, there's that. You got to a really important part right at the end. They're going to have to pay Donovan Mitchell, and then what does that do to the luxury tax and all that? And then I think the other thing is um, – the way some of these stories are being written makes me cringe a little bit, You just think, okay, you're kind of watching this from a distance, and I think you're, I think you're missing a big chunk of the storyline. You're missing a big chunk of the plot here. You know, his last year, you know, last year was a mixed bag, but it wasn't an up-and-down season. It was a down-and-up season. You know, now we, we can sit here and debate, you know, should it have taken as long to transition and fit in as it did? And certainly that time period was extended because he got hurt. But once he figured it out, I thought things went really well. I thought from February on, no complaints, right? He played at a high level. It was great. But he's 32. Well, he was 32 last season. He just turned 33 in October. So he's 33 in a month or whatever now. Uh, And so he's going to play this season at 33 years old. I don't think he's hit the cliff yet. He has had problems with injuries. A couple years ago, in what would have been his 30-year-old season, he only played 12 games. So there's a little worry about that. If they'd extended it out over three years, you know, when, when you're a guard and you're in that, that six, you know, six foot to six two range, when it goes, it goes. Right. You're not a big guy. You got to be able to move. And when you can't move anymore and you tend to lose that for a lot of guys, you tend to lose it pretty quickly. So when you're done, you're done. That cliff is coming. Now, we can talk to Locke about this next, and Locke will tell you how often it comes for guys at 33, 34, or 35. So it was a risk pushing it out there because his production, you know, it, it can take a hit. You know, he'll be the guy who's thrown into every pick and roll as soon as people think he can't move anymore.
1: Everything's a risk, though. There's no guarantees on anything.
2: Right, but back to your point about, so pay him the money now while he's still likely to produce, and then flip all that money over to Donovan when he's likely to produce. And it looks like that's what the Jazz opted for. Are we missing anything on this? Is there another angle? We'll ask David Locke next. NBA draft and free agency with him right after this break. Stay with us.